Hello and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Fantastic Mr. Podcast as we do another Movies by the Decade. Today we take a look at the highs and lows of 1960s film. So sit back, relax, and go back in time with us to the rockin' 60s. Let's talk about the 60s. The 60s came after the 50s, but before the 70s. That's all I could find out about the 60s. So it's your episode. It's your guys's episode. Sorry. I'm just oh, kidding. Oh, man. I, uh, I, I, I actually found a lot of cool information, but I'm going to let you guys uh, start. I mean, what, open it up. What do you guys think about? What do you guys envision? What comes to mind first when you think of the era of the 1960s? I mean, for me, I think of <laughs> so the era of the, the suit still and then bridging uh, to a more unique fashion style as we get to the later 60s as people are starting to rebel and we have the Vietnam War beginning. And I, I, I think uh, it's a period of division and it's a period of uh, cultural change, cultural change, societal changes. And when it comes to film, especially a lot of these cultural shifts are shown on the big screen. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get into some examples here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think of, I think of a lot of the political stuff. So I, I apologize, Justin, I cut you ahead. off, but I think a lot of the political material, like uh, the John F. Kennedy's uh, assassination, uh, you know, this, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Silver Rights, Martin Luther King, right. the Civil Rights, the Suffrage know, the Movement, Civil Uprest, Cold War continuing. Yeah. Um, Space just, Race. Yeah. And just like the, the, the kind of like the youth, I don't think the youth, but like <laughs> younger people becoming more disenfranchised with. The United the States and, and the American dream, like, you know, a lot more, uh, a lot of more uh, politically leaning films started coming out and, and artists being more vocal about what the way they thought the country should be ran and just the political movements in general, which is kind of. Yeah, that's true. You know, ramped up. Yeah, a lot, a lot of, of politics rebelling and stuff like that, too. Um, I don't know. I, it's It's amazing to me. And I know y'all are going a little deeper than what I'm about to go to, but it's amazing how much black and white there still is as far as films go. Cause you know, color TV was around yeah, they, this time. Yeah. They didn't care. <laughs> That's the part of the rebelling, right? It's the black and white TV. At least I like to think so. Not TV, sorry, movies. Cause there's a few movies, even in the seventies. Well, the sixties uh, had the introduction of color TV for the first time. I believe that was 1962. Yeah. 1962 uh, color TV became a thing. The TV was also still a big thing. It was hard for, like we talked about in the last decade, that was kind of the introduction to staying at home and watching TV versus going to the movies and still having issues. And from what I read, the sixties was kind of the worst time to try to get people to go to the movies just because of the more convenience of staying at home and all that stuff. But that being said, there were still a lot of great movies that came out. Oh yeah. And it's interesting because we were talking about this in our last episode about the uh, 
the ratings, um, the 1960s is when the Hays Code was finally abolished. And so maybe that played into the fact that there was a lot more like experimental and politically leaning subjects in film because there wasn't such a tight grip on, uh, you know, the, the film climate. But like, like uh, what is it? Um, a lot of good movies actually came out like Breakfast and Tiffany's, The Pink Panther, uh, How I Stopped to Worry and, and uh, Love the Bomb, the bomb. Uh, Dr. Strangelove. Yes, I just watched that. Uh, a few dollars, a few dollars more. Like a lot of great westerns. A lot of uh, uh, Stanley Kubrick actually put out some bangers in the sixties too. Like, bangers. Yeah, put out some some sweet stuff. Like Lolita was the sixties. Two thousand one, the Space Odyssey. Doctor Strange Love. Sixty was a hot was a hot decade for Kubrick. Well, Alfred Hitchcock also came out with a couple uh, movies then too. Psycho and I think The Birds came out around that time. Yeah, I've seen Psycho, and actually, I just watched Psycho for the first time, maybe a month or so ago. And man, that movie is good. Like Alfred Hitchcock, he's on top of his game at this point. He knew suspense, man. He could do it. He was good at like hiding things from the audience, such as if you've seen Psycho, you know the whole time. Spoiler alert! Sorry, eighty what eighty years ago, the his mother's you know the dude's mother's dead the whole time, but he's acting as if she's still alive and he's dressing like her and stuff like this. So you, you have this idea that maybe it's him, but you're like, but you don't know for sure. Cause that's how, like, that's how good Alfred Hitchcock was with that suspense stuff and keeping things from you until the right moment, you know, at very end of the movie, you see the dude's face, but he's dressed up like his mother because his mother's been dead this whole time. Pretty. It's a, it's a pretty neat movie. And like, there's also some crazy twists. Like, um, there's a girl at the beginning of the movie that meets the, the owner of the motel, and then she ends up, you know, he ends up going back and killing her. And you're like, holy crap! I didn't expect her to die so soon. He's like, let's subvert the audience expectations and kill her. <laughs> and so that's what he did. And uh, he's he's really good at that with with that movie. Good movie. If you have, have y'all seen Psycho? No, unfortunately not. Oh man, it's, it's on my it's on my forever expanding list of movies I can I never find time to watch. You it's never, like we yeah. go on our streaming services, we spend more time, at least I do, it seems like browsing and adding stuff to my list than actually dedicating time to sit down and watch yeah. the show or the <laughs> Just, movie. Yeah. It, it's like more interactive. I feel like more it's more fulfilling, cheap fulfillment to go out through Netflix, Hulu, Max, HBO, not formerly HBO Max, just to like the satisfaction of adding that to my list and actually never <laughs> just adding it. it to the list. That's uh, funny. It's like people I never Yu-Gi-Oh cards or Pokemon yeah. cards that don't actually play the game. They just collect. Yeah. It, that, it's like these, all these freaking VHS movies I have sitting here, you know, it's like not the ones behind me, of course, but the ones you can't see, like they're just there. The audience can't see any of them. Justin, they're listening. I'm to talking audience. about, I'm talking about you guys, <laughs> but yes, we just get a I, sample of your collection. Yeah. I, uh, there are three giant bookshelves full of VHS tapes, and I'm not gonna ever watch them, but they look cool. They look cool. It's like yes. looking at artwork. Exactly. That's exactly. So, I was I was thinking about the collection, specifically the metal uh, cases that you get. You mean the Justin. buckets? Oh, you're talking about the steel books. Yeah, still yeah. the steel books. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was thinking about that for whatever reason. It popped in my head this afternoon driving home. I was like, you know, that's just art. Yeah, it is. You know, I mean, like, it just, I mean, you look at this right here, it's like looking at a painting. And, you know, eventually on this side, you can't, audience, of course, can't see it, but there's a blank wall next to it. It's just going to be another one of these, another one of these 
shelves filled with movies and you, I've, I've been trying to go through them and just like watch a movie a night um so far i'm on wally which is at the very top uh, Out of wally, yeah you can't see it it's the very top on the on the very like it's maybe the 10th movie in in the line and so wally came out on the criterion collection so i'm gonna re-watch it because it's been a while since i've seen it but um yeah so i'm not very far into this whole one movie a night endeavor Although I did watch a good movie last night, thanks to Zach, which I guess we can talk about a little bit, huh, Zach? You want to talk yeah, about? Yeah, let's, let's talk about a little bit. Yeah, the apartment. So, if you don't mind, Zach, I would like to start because um, you've told me what you think about this movie. I want to tell you what I think. So, the apartment is a is a movie from 1960. Um, it's starring Jack Lemmon, Shirley MacLaine, um, and it's basically about a insurance salesman, clerk, whatever he does with insurance, who is not renting out his apartment, but letting letting executives in his company use the apartments in hopes He's, to get it in a promotion for dates let, because they're all cheating on his what their wives, you know, and so they're bringing. Let me there. rephrase that. He's running the 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 America's first Airbnb. I mean, <laughs> I was watching it, and it's like the first half hour of this movie. I'm just like, this is just a day in the life of an Airbnb owner. Minus the, just- <laughs> minus the fact that you know these guys are specifically coming to hook up with their, their side pieces. Right. Yeah. And they're not cleaning up after themselves. Yeah, He's having to like, buy it. They're asking like, where's there's no cheese here. Was yeah. Like, Can you get a little, wine a little cheese Open on the tab? And he's like, turn to make sure I don't play the music. The loud, the neighbors are complaining. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like all like this, this man just runs an Airbnb. Yeah. He's but, a pushover though. And his coworkers have leverage well, yeah. and, on him. And I feel like he evolves over the course of the movie. Yeah, he sure does. And like, yeah, he's ba- he, like said, um, Jake, he's Baxter basically um, running an Airbnb minus the rules of, you know, making sure everything's clean and sticking the dishes in the dishwasher and all this stuff before you go. Um, but then he meets a woman who's like an elevator attendant. I guess they had those back then. Fran. Um, yeah, Fran. Well, Mrs. Kubelik. Kubelis. Kubelik. Yeah. Um, played by Shirley McLean. She's very cute. She is. She's very attractive I was imp- in this movie. Great actor. I was impressed too. with the character she played as well. Yeah. She a seemed- very, I feel like there's a, a very modern, even today, a very modern take of a woman. a woman. Yeah, I would agree. Like she's, she's not very high up in the company, but she's still independent. You know, she's still, I mean, of course she falls in love with a married man, but she still seems independent. She can hold her own. Um, she would cut off her hair cause it was getting on her nerves and now she thinks it's, you know, a mistake. I thought that was cute. Um, she's very, I, I really enjoyed her acting. She was very charming to me. Absolutely. I think she made the, the movie for me in, lo- in a lot of ways just because they explored you know, suicide in mm-hmm. early sixties. And I don't think that was really uh, explicitly shown or even talked about in society or probably the stigma even to this day when it comes to mental health, but especially in the 1960s, late fifties, displaying, uh, talking about uh, mental health in such a fashion. And you see during that one scene where she's those sleeping pills she gets from Bud Baxter's cabinet in the bathroom Mm -hmm. and then it's kind of like subtly mentioned i mean the music kind of accompanies the what she's about to do but and then you see later uh, when uh bud uh, brings back that one Mm -hmm. woman it was with the crazy accent yeah and and she was kind of hilarious what's Uh, the the big idea 
Yeah. And anyways, when he discovers Fran in her his bed, he uh, realizes, oh, shoot. And has to call the doctor and everything. And that whole, that whole scene was fantastic. Yeah, I would agree. Like, to be honest with you, I, I completely forgotten. He, he mentioned a sleeping. I do remember him mentioning a sleeping pill, but I just I just thought it was like his his pills because he was sick. And maybe she realized it was his apartment. I didn't realize she was just like, oh, sleeping pills. I'm going to take those. Overdose. So whenever, yeah. So whenever she um, was sleeping, I just thought, man, she went to sleep at his house. That's weird, but okay. Because, um, <laughs> you know, I, I figured she thought maybe, you know, it's his it's his apartment. I'll just go to sleep. So what prompted her to to do that, you think? Was it the, 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 the pressure, the realization that she wouldn't be with that guy? with that guy yeah with, yeah she's she's in love with this boss this guy and yeah she's like you know he he's done this to so many women at that at that place mind you like he's been doing this for years sleeping with women at that same company yes, including his own secretary yeah but he still works there even he's as an executive boss. I, mean, I mean i get it but it's like come on dude eventually someone's got to take notice and be like you, you got to get out of here you know but then he does it to fran who's just an elevator attendant you know and she falls in love with him of course and it's so uh, sad i mean it yeah. just this this woman she's she comes across as so strong but so conflicted and has a dark past of being used yet yeah. she she kind of yearns for this sense of belonging um but it's just it's very I'm very I feel feel bad for her, but also don't at the same time. Um, but it's it, it's just very uh, well, she uh, very dark. She's she, she has a dark past. She gives a, an awesome quote like there was a lot of good quotes in this movie, but there was one that I thought that she delivered that I thought was was awesome. She said, when you're in love with a married man, you shouldn't wear mascara. And I thought. It's so true. I mean, I guess I've never been in love with a married man or wore mascara, but <laughs> I get where she's what she's trying to say is like, no matter what happens, you're probably never going to be with that man. So you're probably going to cry a lot. Um, and I, I thought that was just that just kind of. Yeah, I just got to hit the nail on the head. She also said um, something else uh, whenever she gave him the mirror and he realized, oh, this is the mirror that Sheldrake had. Um, this is, you know, he's, this is the woman he's seeing and she's like, are you going to look at yourself? And he was like, Oh, the, the mirror, it's broken. And she says, yes, I know. I like it that way. It makes me look how the way I feel. I mean, oh, like, yeah. I remember that. starting there, you're broken. like, Oh man, she's, woman. she's, she's already depressed. You know, there's something like mentally she's upset. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of get that. And like, the thing I like about this movie is I thought, I didn't realize it was going to go in the direction it was going. Right. I thought it was going to be this, this comedy, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Where, like Jack Lemmon's known for being a comedian just a year before with Billy Wilder, the director, he did a movie um, where he played a, a person in drag and accompanying a, a touring band And Marilyn Monroe happens to be in the movie, but it's more of a comedy than uh, the serious tones of the apartment. Yeah. And so like the whole time, cause the way I, the, the description of the movie was like this, you know, guy, he's lending his apartments for his executives to go on dates. And and then, you know, calamity ensues when his love life, whatever becomes, he starts having a love life. And I was like, oh man, he's the whole, I thought the whole thing was going to be him trying to keep her away from his apartment. And so it was going to be kind of funny 
because whatever. But then it just like totally did a 180, threw me for a loop. You know, was, she tries to kill herself, and then he and she ends up staying a couple days, and <laughs> and whatever. It's just like it was a it was a great movie that I even changed. So I'm I'm trying to teach film appreciation this this fall. And the first movie I was going to have them watch was, of course, you know, Citizen Kane. But then I was like, mm-hmm. Citizen Kane to so film cliche. It is. Well, it is. It's You're a, right. But it's, it's, but it's so essential, too. It is very essential. But here's the problem. And it's and this is the problem I had when I was taking film was first time watching it. You're not going to see those things that like made Citizen Kane the classic it is today. Right. You just so listen already. Well, we understand what went into making the movie, but people like freshmen and sophomores in college who are taking film appreciation aren't going to understand it. They're going to see it as a movie. And the, the, the storyline isn't that great. Not going to lie. It's, it's kind of boring. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you know what all went into it and you appreciate that, like the movie, it makes the movie that much better. And so like, I was like, you know what? I think we'll look at citizen Kane, but I don't think we'll watch it. And so what I did was I switched it. I, I would, I'm, I'm going to make them watch the apartment instead. Cause it's there still, it's still like a great movie. And I actually moved it to the second lesson, which is like narrative structure. Cause I think this movie has great narrative structure. Um, so the, you know, the first movie they'll watch is, would be the apartment. Awesome. So, Talk yeah. about what do we cool. think about Bud's like evolution over the course of the movie from starting as this mm-hmm. kind of pushover guy, letting his coworkers uh, use his apartment for well, having sex with women and, and then mm-hmm. having this the allure of the promotion. And he goes with the flow with allowing his boss to have a set of keys so he could you know, have uh, fun and free reign to do what he wants uh, in his own abode. Uh, and then that quote from the doctor, Mr. Dreyfus, something to do with manning up essentially. And then he, uh, I forgot the exact quote, but, but eventually uses that on the brother-in-law. Yeah. And and uses it on Mr. Sheldrake at the end when he, in in his new office Mm -hmm. next door. And he like, He's like, oh, Mr. Children, or Mr. Uh, Baxter, uh, I think you gave me the wrong keys. Uh, and then he says, no, I didn't. Mr. Children, I did not. And he goes into his little quote and eventually leaves and the music accompanies and it shows that he's this changed man and he's more independent, not going to let people run all over him. I kind of liked his evolution. Well, you said it. You asked the question and you answered it for us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did like, I did notice like at the beginning especially when he got sick and he's like scrambling to change all the dates just so he can go home that night and go to sleep and i was like dang dude like this guy's like at first i was like it's for a promotion like i think i might do the same thing for a, a for an executive when i say the same thing like to that effect your own like, boss i would i would help out my <laughs> bosses if it meant me getting a promotion. Now I probably would have a limit. I don't know what that limit is. Cause that's never that, that situation has never happened to me, but I like to think, you know, if my bosses needed something weird. for me, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I'd give them my apartment. I mean, I might, if they're like, Hey, I need a place to, uh, you know, have sex with my mistress. All right. You know, I, I mean, if that's not what, profiting, <laughs> I mean, eventually I will. Cause I'd, get a promotion but you know it's like True. i wouldn't sell my body but maybe my apartment you know so 
I don't know. I he I was a, new things about you, he, Justin. <laughs> I mean, it just depends on this the actual situation. It has like I don't know what the boundaries are. I don't know what the situation would, would you have kill to a be. Man? I wouldn't kill a person. Okay, but there's one boundary. Yeah, I wouldn't kill a person. I'd do it, you know, for money. Um, I you kill a person for money? No, I mean, I I'd, I'd <laughs> help out a boss for money. Yeah, I think one of the turning points for Bud was when he realized when he saw the broken mirror uh, from well, the, realized it was her. Yeah, he realized, and then, he, and then he got all depressed, and his 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 mood really changed. I felt like, and then getting stood up by her. by Fran, and I, I love that scene at the Chinese restaurant because the, when they. Sheldrake and Fran walk in, you have the the Chinese uh, pianist, pianist and he's playing one of the motifs that you hear throughout the movie. I don't know what you call that technically, but I, I like that's yeah. Well, how they include it, like actually being played in that universe. Yeah, but, yeah, I, I, that's cool. I mean, I, I thought that was pretty awesome and that whole scene, that whole sentence, that the dialogue between Sheldrake and Fran from the Chinese restaurant scene to when they think they re, they go back to the Chinese restaurant for the New Year's mm-hmm. celebration, the yeah, whole buildup so was was so wonderful. And he, oh, they sing, and then and then yeah, she turns around, and she's gone. She's gone. <laughs> well, you know, uh, one thing I I like and don't like about what's his face Baxter is that he's like, hmm, I don't know if he's a good person or a stupid person. You know, because he's covering not only for Fran, but he covers for Sheldrake. He he makes himself look like the bad guy, even to her brother-in-law. He's like, she. He's like, who is she? Whatever. With he's like, well, who else? It's like it's me. And then he gets punched in the face. You know, it's like he's doing all this for her. I don't know. It's just it's kind of crazy. His his logic. He's well, in he an odd situation. He's a bit foolish. Yeah, he is a bit foolish. Like, he's a good person, but it's like, dude, you can be too much of a good person. Like, you still need to stick up for yourself. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It it was just like, I don't don't know how to explain it, but it was very... Mm -hmm. um, It was very interesting to watch that he was... You're like, aw, idiot. You know? Remember that dramatic run from the Chinese restaurant to Bud's... Oh, yeah. (laughs) At the very end. We've seen that type of run before and... Countless movies, but and then I love it when he, she walks in, she runs in, and here's the what she probably thinks is a gunshot, and because he had mentioned that he had tried to kill himself. Well, he before. also has a gun. We we saw the yeah, gun. We yeah. saw the gun, but I just and it was happened to be champagne. Like that whole sequence was amazing to me. Well, here's the thing: is when I saw it with champagne, I thought champagne does not sound like a gunshot <laughs> it sounds like something that's been pressurized that pops out like it's not it, they don't sound remotely the same but the it 60s. sounded like it, it sounded like a gunshot and she freaked out and I'm, and i thought it was a gunshot and i was like okay there's no way he killed himself like in my head i was like there's no way he's dead but he was, right, maybe, he was about to move wasn't he yeah and i was like yeah. maybe he accidentally shot off the gun but then it turned out to be champagne i was like i don't believe that was champagne. Yeah, i mean i, I do believe it was champagne i don't believe that if I were out there, I'd be like, that was not champagne. That was a freaking gunshot, you know? Yeah, but the wise guy, kind of the, the man of wisdom of this movie, I think was the 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 neighbor, the doctor. The doctor. Yeah. So was Mrs. Drive. Oh, she was fan- She was great. She was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, she was funny. She's still like, even though she hates him, she's like, I'll make her something to eat. I remember she didn't the, need it. This kind of the slight 
somewhat subtle, but I think if you know what they're talking about as an adult, you, know, you can get it. Like he's like, oh, like basically complimenting buds sexual expertise yeah, prowess prowess he's like when you die donate your body to science oh yeah and he because he's like that. he walks out because he walks out with the giant trash can just filled to the brim with alcohol which of course oh, yeah. his executives are drinking but right. as far as the doctors he's like he's got this massive he's, thing of alcohol he's hearing he's hearing to make love every night he's gonna die soon <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's like i'm still gonna be alive when you're dead so donate your body to science and then he does he's like okay i will and then he mentioned i like that he mentions they they're really good at callbacks in this movie one of them being like he's gonna donate his body to science and he mentions that a couple times in the movie and then also they kept saying like they were adding the word wise to a lot of stuff percentage wise yeah percentage wise and cookie wise that's how it crumbles you know cookie wise and i thought that was kind of funny um and so uh, they they did a lot of cool like little jokes that weren't jokes but they were jokes and mm -hmm. and then um yeah adding the wise and then the wise got a little excessive for me but yeah it did like after like the well, it it was good, but it was excessive. But I think it was also there for the purpose because it was just showing like how shallow all these people are. It's almost like um an extent to that in like you think modern would be modern films would be like American Psycho. They they don't really know what to talk about. They don't know how to actually communicate, and they just want to sound smart, and so they ramble off nonsense and like that's the way it is, cookie wise, because that's sounds smart. That's mm -hmm. the way it crumbles cookie wise it's so funny and then uh she mentions not being able to spell and she's like i'd spell it out for you but i can't spell and then he mentioned something about not being at her not being able to spell so they they were really good at like bringing certain like sayings that they they had you know spat off back a few times over it was it was kind of neat it was i, I, I really liked the 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 writing in this movie um and and to me like yeah I, like you were saying earlier zach it's kind of taking taking film and kind of almost flipping it on its head where it's it's experimenting with newer concepts like suicide and stuff like that adultery to, yeah and, and adultery and sex just having sex in general because you know back in the 50s maybe even barely back in you know 10 years ago before that like it probably wouldn't have mentioned it as much but you know 1960 boom the apartment let's talk about sex let's talk about alcohol let's talk about adultery and suicide. I think people, uh, when they watch a movie, they want to feel something and they could perhaps connect and relate to what they see on film. And I to feel those, like those the, the, real the apartment, things. Those yeah, the apartment, while it had the comedy flair to it, it also had these serious um, themes. And for a lot of people, I bet they had conversations about the we movie. Are. Yeah, like we are, and relating to the mental health or uh, the adultery, or they knew know someone uh, at work that's taking Sleep advantage them. of their coworkers. Oh yeah, perhaps. I mean, it happens to this day. Yeah, we're, uh, we're normal now. But quickly, I, I wanted to the ending scene. Do you think they get together? What do you think at the at the end? Because remember, I I love you, Fran, and she kind of just like dealing the cards. She's like, shut up and deal, and then the movie ends. I feel like uh, does it does it matter? I, th I think he he's on his path to uh, getting with her. Yeah. I would agree. Like, it's kind of like the Han Solo Leia thing, where she's like, "I love you," and he's like, "I know," but you know, he he really loves her. You know, especially in the sequels. Now that they have they've had a kid, you know what I mean. But 
he's got to had to have loved her sometime or they just accidentally had a kid, which is also very possible. Um, so yeah, I think at the, at the end, you know, she, she loves him. She's just kind of jerking him around. No pun intended. Let's play cards. <laughs> Let's play cards. I feel like this would be a great, uh, live theater like a stage play. stage play yeah, yeah i think it would make a good stage play. you don't need too many sets you just i think you, you could rotate them as you as some sets are rotational but have an office have a baxter apartment and then maybe a chinese restaurant and that's all you need let's do it let's do There's, it there is a cool um piece of trivia i wanted to share with you about this movie to create the the effect of a vast sea of faces laboring grimly and impersonally at their desk in a huge insurance company office designers alex troner and edward g maybe maybe trainer and edward g boyle devised an interesting technique full-size actors sat at the desk in the front and children dressed in suits were used at tiny desks toward the rear followed by even smaller desks and cut out figures operated by wires it gave the effect of a much larger space that could have been uh, achieved in a limited studio space. I thought that was interesting. That's it, cool. Yeah, it came, it reminded me of like Citizen Kane in the scene where he's giving that speech. You know, and yeah. it's, it's basically just a huge map painting with just him, and then you have the pictures of heads with holes in it and lights shining through to make this seem like they're moving. It's a very innovative technique to to kind of give the illusion of like this crowded room, and they did a good job. I thought because I remember looking at that that scene at the very beginning of the apartment and thinking like, it was like this giant room full of insurance people, you know, I did. I wondered how they got so many people, like so many extras for a movie at that time. Yeah. And so apparently they uh, used kids. So I thought that was interesting. People tapping away at their adding machines. They get paid. Those children. Maybe. (laughs) I mean, they they probably did. Probably not very much, but I bet they got something. So anyway, The Apartment, if you haven't seen it, watch it. Go see it. Oh, yeah. Very good. What are the movies from the 60s? And a one, I think you probably maybe mentioned it already, but it won the best picture of of that year. Oh, you're talking about The Apartment 1? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought you were talking about The Apartment. Did The Apartment win a... It went at one uh, best picture. Okay, yeah. that's what I thought. Best, but picture. it was surprisingly. I didn't see in that list that Jake you uh, sent earlier. Well, I think this apartment. is just movies. Oh, the apartment? That... Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe it's, it's further there. down there. Oh, is yeah, it... it's uh, in this list. It's just the number eight. That's not based off uh, any awards. It's just based off of the IMDb like popularity. So but yeah, but still, pop, I'm still surprised. I mean, for best oh. picture, you think it'd be higher up there in popularity. I mean, is it the top ten? Is it? I, I missed it then. Yeah. Feature was, film released. I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised to see 2001: A Space Odyssey. I don't see it in the top ten. I see Valley of the Dolls, 2001: The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, Psycho, Long Day's Journey into Night, The Sound of Music, The Longest Day, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Once Upon a Time in the West, and The Great yeah. Imposter. Those are the top ten I see oh, on the man. list you sent. Hang on, I could have. I'm you another one. Now I know that. Oh, Ew. here's the top 100 movies of the 1960s. Yeah, that's that's um, the one I'm looking at right now. Yeah, that's number eight. Okay, yeah, maybe maybe I was looking at a different list than what you sent. My bad. Um, that's anyhow. Eight. Lots of good movies in the 60s. My, uh, one of my favorites from the 60s is The Great Escape. Have you anyone ever seen that? No. 
No, I've not. It uh, it is a great movie. It tells uh, the story based off a true story of uh, Allied prisoners for in World War II building a escape tunnel out from underneath a German POW camp. So it's American wow. soldiers um, in POW camp, and the first half. It's really interesting because the first half is almost played for like comedy. It's like you know, the scrappy United States soldiers. Uh, you know, um, like outwitting the German guards and, and, you know, building their tunnel and stuff. And then the second half is when it actually happens. And it like, it's like a hard switch from like a comedy to like an action, almost a suspense because now they're being chased, right? They, they escaped and now they're being chased and they're having to cut through like, you know, having to cut through like checkpoints and, and land. And it's just a fantastic uh, movie. It's got um, mm. Steve McQueen, uh, as one of the titular characters, uh, Hilt's the Cooler King. Um, and it's he has this great motif throughout that movie where he has like a tennis ball and he keeps getting in trouble. And he just takes a ball in there with him and he just bounces the ball against essentially a, a, a what do they call it? Like a, a wall? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> what do they call it? It's isolated, like an isolation tank, essentially. Oh. In there. And that's like a motif, the bouncing of the the wall of the ball against the isolation tank. Wow. And the dude from Jurassic Park is in it. Richard Attenborough. But you might, even if you haven't seen The Great Escape, you will probably recognize it if you've watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because uh, they recreate one of the popular scenes in that movie using Leonardo DiCaprio. In other words, he's playing the role of Steve McQueen in that. And oh, that's kind of the vaguely where, remember. He is, where he's in a he's in a camp and he's smart mouthing a, a guard. And if you saw that, that's essentially that's the scene from The Great Escape, but it's Leonardo DiCaprio instead of Steve McQueen. So I thought that's that was cool. a that's a neat little callback. callback yeah. Kind of like a Shawshank Redemption. Except, yeah. you know, Shawshank Redemption came way after that movie. Um, that sounds cool. I guess I need to put it on my ever-growing list. Am I right, Zach? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I haven't seen it. Can we talk briefly about Godzilla and how it was the era of maybe arguably good and bad monster flicks? We can talk about Kaiju, whatever you want to. King- how do you guys always pull us back to Godzilla? Godzilla? Ninja because Turtles and it doesn't go away every era. God, I was to say Godzilla is, has been around <laughs> since the fifties. Like after you know the first movie, or not the first one, but the fifties movies by the decade. I bet we'll talk about Godzilla for the rest of the yes these episodes. Remember, remember, in, uh, remember, remember. Have you, have you seen King Kong versus Godzilla in nineteen sixty two? It's the first time we see two of the King biggest, Kong. most popular monstrous fight and then yep. it le- and it ends on a somewhat ambiguous yep. note you hear godzilla mm-hmm, mm-hmm. roar and then but you see king kong yes we never know going into we, the distance we don't know who wins it's just <laughs> kind of a i mean they make more of, king you, kong movies so obviously not king kong bringing godzilla movies so obviously uh, godzilla this was a toho movies so i feel like the japanese they don't want to have that want to piss off anyone exactly when any one audience yeah they godzilla comes back a lot like godzilla does a lot of dying and coming back or they just completely reboot the series like with every new reiteration or whatever you know mm-hmm. uh, but one one of the godzilla movies that actually unfortunately is 1971 but i feel like i was talking about psychedelic 
elements yeah. earlier in the, at the intro of the, at the podcast, but Godzilla versus Hedera, or the other title, Godzilla versus the Spog Monster. It's basically a big message, say, don't pollution. pollute the earth. <laughs> and the, the movie starts off with this strange LCD trip montage LCD. of a woman singing God say, or something say it's called save the earth. And it's a pretty catchy tunic, the American and the Japanese versions uh, of this, of the song. But you have like a bunch of like people with fish masks on and you see a bunch of dead fish in an ocean. And it's probably real archive footage of dead sea life. And you, and, it's like, what am I watching? I thought I'm watching a Godzilla movie. And then eventually gets past the the heavy political messaging, carries on to a normal Godzilla film. Save it. Save it for the next one. <laughs> Talk about it in the 70s when we get there. Can't wait till we get to the 70s, man. A lot of good movies and, in the 70s. And then, and then briefly, 1969, the very short Godzilla mm-hmm. meets Bambi. I don't know if you've what? seen it's a never heard of it black and white looks like very hand drawn um, style and you just got to check it out on youtube you know i don't have to do anything what else? 1969 don't tell me what to do i know you don't know who wins i'm not going to spoil it okay thank you i guess the next movie i would like to talk about briefly we'll start with night of the living dead which i've seen you, I've, you stole I've, it from me oh i'm sorry i was well here you can talk about the actual no, movie go, the go, only time go. i saw it was that oh, zombies? Yeah. The only time I saw it was um I was watching so there's this thing called um Mystery Science Theater three thousand, right? And it's a You it's watched a it through through Mystery Hang Theater on 3000? a second. My goodness. What? Hang on. Oh. It wasn't Mystery Science Theater three thousand. It was the same people who made Mystery Science Theater, but they do a live show called Rift Tracks where they do it live, but I couldn't see it live, so I had to see the live version in it on it in theaters and so we went to a theater to see it um and it was really cool but unfortunately that's the only time i've seen night of living dead but the good thing about a lot of those is like even though they're making jokes over you could still understand the story and and what's going on um so i thought the ending was pretty cool um so i'll save that one for you jake i didn't i don't i didn't want to talk too much about it anyway um, no you're 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 fine i was just like george a. romero's night of living dead was a like a bomb in theaters because it, it was originally so it was. no one expected <laughs> it to be what it was it was a little throwaway movie that was originally shown as a like a twofer these films and the other one was like doctor who night of the night of the uh the dialects so you had this like what was supposed to be the blockbuster right and then you had this little scrappy uh quote-unquote horror movie about zombies or something like that and it shook everything up because george the zombies that we know today like think of the walking dead think of think of any zombie in popular media is all based off of night of the living dead george romero introduced this genre of zombie that we consider the quintessential zombie today they didn't they didn't have that before night of the living dead and and horror movies also were not really horror movies right they uh, they were date night movies. They would go and they would not really be that scary, but it would give the ladies an excuse to like snuggle up against their man and pretend that they're scared and stuff. And so you had all these couples going on date night and they're going to watch like this fun science fiction movie. And then they're going to watch this little like, you know, horror movie. And it's not scary to us necessarily now, but at the time there hadn't been anything like this. Right. And so 
it was legitimately scary to the folks in 1960s. <laughs> so they really had to cuddle up. Yeah, and it, and it legitimately both changed the the genre of zombies as we know it, and the way that we started producing horror films in general. Plus, on top of all that, uh, dear listener, if you want to see it, it's the uh, Night of the Living Dead. It came out in um, 1968. Mm -hmm. Um, You can watch it online. It's available for free on YouTube because it's entered into the film archives. And so it's out of copyright. And you can, it's on YouTube. Oh, that's good to know. Uh, The full thing is free on YouTube. um, And it's also available on uh, the Internet Archive. That's it. Filing a copyright claim on YouTube and reporting it. Just kidding. Man, you. <laughs> no, it's a. Uh, it's on the Internet Archive, and also. Oh, Internet Archive. There we go. Yeah, it's on the Internet Archive, oh. and uh, the remake, the nineteen ninety uh, version, which I haven't seen, um, is also on the Internet Archive. So you can watch the original uh, nineteen sixty eight Night of the Living Dead, and then you can watch watch the remake of it, hmm. the nineteen ninety version, also yeah, for free online. Yeah, one it's thing super, super cool. I liked about it too is um, I just I just remembered the lead character is black, so that mm-hmm. was cool, um, and that's something I can actually use at school. I, that's a I always try to look for like movies that kind of did something different and used minority actors, non-white actors, in lead in lead roles. Or women. Roles, yeah, yeah and originally, like minority actors played the subservient characters yeah. and had dialogue that was very much a caricature of the way that they speak that, that the way yeah the way they speak or the way white people saw them and so um Sadly, it's interesting yeah. to you know this i mean granted spoiler alert you know something happens to that the guy at the end but it's not like he it was a good ending regardless yeah um, yeah so that yeah that was a that's a cool movie i need to Need to rewatch that without the if, comedy in the background. If you watch um, the whole like trilogy, and he's made more and smaller in between, like half of his career is essentially building off of this, you know, Night of the Living Dead universe. Um, yeah. But if you watch the trilogy, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead, that is essentially his trilogy, the quintessential Living Dead trilogy. Um, mm-hmm. And he is political throughout all of it so like the night of the living dead um as you know put uh put minority characters in lead roles because you have the the black man and then also the woman both at the time were considered oh yeah lesser um and then dawn of the dead um switches this up entirely and it places um it's like after it's kind of ramped up um and essentially takes place in an underground bunker the entire movie takes place in an underground bunker between um, in a research facility where scientists, a group of scientists and a group of military personnel are studying the zombies. So you have like the science uh, researchers and then the military detail detail and how they butt heads and how they want to deal with the situation. Um, and I'm not going to spoil it, but it's very much a, a pointed um motif of the difference between like education and military might um and then day of the dead continues those kind of themes further so like it's the whole trilogy is 
is a pointed message, but it's all wrapped up in this great lore and universe of these living dead. So are quick. the Russians are the Russians mentioned at all? Or I'm curious in the movie. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, like maybe, but the that really wasn't the it really wasn't the point of it. Yeah. The point yeah. was the the strife between the researchers and the and the military members. Just kind of like the two different viewpoints of of solving a problem. So the movie you just described with the scientists and stuff is Day of the Dead, which came out in 1985. The one before that was Dawn of the Dead, which was the the one in the mall. Oh, you're right. I got the mixed yeah. up. I was, that's yeah, a video, I was like, that's a video game absolutely too. Absolutely right. Yeah, I was like looking yeah, at Dawn of the Dead was like full up shooter action in the mall, and they yeah. they actually made a, a 2004 remake of that movie as well. I don't know about Day of the Dead. I assume there's a is there a remake of Day of the Dead? Uh, so, yes, there is. That's funny. So there's yeah. a remake. He's like remade. He's like remade all of them, yeah. and he's made another one since that. I think he's made one called like Land of the Dead. Uh, oh, really? Or something like I've, that. I think I've seen that. Or Survival Land of the of Dead. Dead. Hang on, I'm let look it up. Oh wait, here's okay. So there is a Land of the Dead. George A. Romero's. I saw that in theaters. Is Land of the Dead came out in 2005. I don't know if it's a remake. I doubt it's a remake, huh? Do you yeah. know? No, I'm not sure. It's a remake like for it. everything. But thank you for that correction, Justin. I appreciate that. Well, I just was, I was like, I, I, pro- I should probably say something because um, you were yeah, like I describing those, it, I and I was like, mixed. wait a minute, because I was looking at all three. So, Land of the Dead, Living Dead have taken over the world, and the last humans lived in a walled city to protect themselves as they come to grips with the situation. George A. Romero. That's funny. I, I saw that movie in theaters. Oh, man, that was a long time ago. Golly, 2005. I need to rewatch all these movies now. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, was like, I go to his IMDb and like every other credit is something of the dead. Of the dead. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Of the dead. Um, okay, if you guys don't mind, I would like to talk about another movie from the 60s. Go for it. And I mentioned it in the, in the in our Facebook group. Um, it's called David and Lisa. It was part of our curriculum when I taught high school and I'm not really re- I don't really remember why. Oh, it was because I had a lot of like we were talking about point of view shots and stuff. Um, and so I had a lot of that in there, but if you watch the movie, it's, it's like a very, like, it's almost like watching a psychiatric case on TV, which we've seen several of those movies, but this movie was from 1962. And it was very interesting to see that from back then. Cause there's so many interpretations you can make for this movie. And my, my friend who was going to school for, um, counseling, I was like, dude, you need to watch this movie. Like, if you like watching things that like about psychiatric, you know, cases and, you know, whatever, like mental health and stuff. This is a good movie. So the movie's about teenager David Clements develops a hysterical fear that he will die if he comes into physical contact with another person. Um, so if you're if you touch him, he freaks out. Um, perturbed, David's overbearing mother places him in a, in a home for mentally disturbed young people. That's where he meets Lisa. And Lisa's probably she's a teenager as well, but she she has a disassociative identity disorder where she believes she is like, you know, a teenager named Muriel, but she also believes that she is a little girl named Lisa and her persona that she uses for most of the movie is Lisa um, throughout. So you kind of watch these two, their relationship develop throughout and how they start, you know, trusting each other and, and you see like the issues that they have within themselves throughout the movie as well um and it's it's a very interesting movie if you guys haven't seen it um 
which I assume you have it. Have you guys seen it? I have not. It's a, it sounds it's a, interesting. Yeah, it was an independent um independent movie back then, which you know, there wasn't very much of. It was mostly studio movies, right? But we kind of start seeing this this wave of independent movies come out. Um this was one of them. Um it it was a nominee for best director and nominee for best uh writing. So I don't know. It's it's very very interesting take on you know it even the the thing says David and Lisa an unusual love story. So what was interesting about the cinematography? Well, it's in black and white. Um, a lot of um, point of view shots where like there's a scene where um, it's like a it's like a statue. They go to the the mall. I think it's like a statue. Um, it's like a statue of a family or something. And so she like crawls up into the statue right because she has no family and uh it was a really cool thing it is actually one of the the one of the high schoolers that i taught pointed it out and i said i said what because it was like a top-down shot of her laying in the arms (laughs) jake's microphone came off (laughs) um her like laying in the arms i'm glad i had that on mute yeah thank god (laughs) we would have all heard it and laughed at you um so it was a it was a shot of her laying in the arms of this family, right? You know, because she she like yearns for family, and I was like, yeah, I was like, so what do you guys think about this shot? And one of them was like, well, you know, it's kind of like God is looking down on her, and I'm like, huh? I was like, you know, I didn't even think about that. So it was a very interesting take that I hadn't even thought of from a high schooler. Um, so it, I think what's the cinematography is is basic cinematography minus some really cool point of view shots like when David first walks into the um to the the mental hospital he like looks around but it's you know first person and like that's cool he, yeah is he he looks around in first person and he kind of there's a staircase right in front of the the door and when he passes there's nothing he comes back and Lisa's there but she's not like standing she's like ducked behind the the stair the railing to where you can't really see her but she's kind of peeking over it it's very uh it's it's very cool like some cool shots in there um and it's in black and white but it's a very interesting take on on you know what two people with mental health issues you know might a relationship between them two might be because they you know they come to to go to she she kind of initiates the the relationship as lisa of course um and they kind of keep you know, talking and talking until they finally trust each other. Um, so, yeah. So is he at a facility for the mentally insane or, or is it different? It's just like, it's almost like um, the way it mentally disturbed is what it says. Disturbed. I don't, it's not I feel really like insane. In this, I feel like in this decade, there was big stigma around that quote unquote crazy people and they would send them to places and they get their brains operated on. Yeah. No, it wasn't like that. It was more just like a place where they can, it's like, it's like a safe spot or safe place for them, but they also, you know, get therapy and stuff like that. Like he has a few meetings with his therapist that you see, um, but then they go out and this is kind of the, the scene where she has the little situation with the, the statue and, but like people can, see them not the people that aren't in the facilities just like normal passerbyers and they're calling them crazy and stuff and so you kind of see that side of it too is how they're treated when they're outside of the place um so it's it's i don't know it's it's super interesting movie like i was like when i first saw it like saw that that was the movie on on the curriculum 
I was like, what is this movie? And so I asked another teacher and she's like, oh, it's okay. And I was like, okay, great. And so I, I still made him watch it. And I was like, dude, this movie is more than, than okay. At least to me, like if you watch it multiple times, like I had to, um, and not only had to watch it, but you know, I had to learn it and, and study it because I was teaching it to students. And so, and that's kind of how I, you know, had a more of an appreciation for citizen Kane and the wizard of Oz and stuff like that, where like, yeah, they're great movies, but once you study them and stuff and you, you have to teach them you, that appreciation grows a lot more. And that's kind of what happened with, with David and Lisa was, I was able to have a more of an appreciation. You might watch it and think this is stupid, but I don't know. I challenge you to watch it and tell me what you think. I should. Added to my long list. Your list of ever-growing movies. Yeah. Um, I want to touch briefly on the just a minute how 1961 is when the U.S. first had someone, an astronaut, in space, and then 1969 is when we had the the moon landing. And during this period, we had several movies, sci-fi. Uh, and some more serious than others that dealt with people in space and maroon comes to mind i think i mentioned this one a while back and stars gregory peck you guys know who that is he stars in it and it's about it's explanatory about astronauts that get marooned in space out just outside earth's orbit and it's quite emotional it kind of starts out as a political kind of mundane drama about how these scientists are going to get achieve their mission in space. Uh, but once they eventually get to space, they end up having some difficulties, some technical difficulties with the ship, and they are unable to come back uh, safely, and they're essentially trapped. They're marooned. And there's this one compilation of scenes toward the end where you see astronauts Zoom calling essentially with their loved ones who are in, I'm assuming, in Texas, Houston, and they're saying their last words and to each other before that inevitable happens. But uh, I just felt like it was a movie that it's kind of dry, but once it gets toward the space bits and emotional parts of toward the end, it's where the acting prowess, I feel like, is on full display. But 1969's Marooned is so great acting by Gregory Peck, among others. Question: Did did it? Did they ended up staying in the ship for like a billion years? A billion, I'm exaggerating, and then come back to Earth, where the Earth has been run by apes. <laughs> I think that's uh, that's 1968. Yeah, yeah. I'm just kidding. That's another Plain one. Aliens. Yeah. That's another one. Another one, the space theme is the God, the most popular sci-fi movie ever, 2001 Space Odyssey. So can I be honest? I've only seen maybe half of that before I got bored. See, that's that's interesting because that's what I've heard from every person that watched it. There's two camps. There's people who adore it and I think it's the best movie that's like ever been made. And then there's the other half who are like, this is the most boring dribble. Uh, yeah well it was just it at least the throughout what i was watching it was just like on a ship talking on a ship talking and i was like and then i realized the movie's like over two hours long or something right is it it's like almost three yeah and i was like god it's like three hours in the 60s you know and so 
I don't know. I just I just stopped but watching. Space. It. But in space, okay. it's not three hours. It's it's over here on I, IMDb saying it's 149 minutes. So what is that? So it's it's about two and a half hours. Two and a half oh. hours. That's fine. Even even back then, that was still too long. Um, but I don't know. Maybe I need to study it and teach it, and then I'll appreciate it more. I don't know. I it was really a good old I mean, Stanley Kubrick movie, right? Yeah, it's a Stanley Kubrick. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'll give course. it another shot. I just don't know when. This is going to sound really pretentious, but it is definitely a thinker film. It's someone cerebral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a movie that you need to want to sit down and just stew on it. And it's not particularly Love like stew. a difficult film. Like it's not, it doesn't try to philosophize anything too terribly great. It's just like, it wants you to sit there and just look at the scene and think about what they're talking about and just kind of mole in the whole situation. I don't know the beginning with the apes and how that, thing comes down and ends up they end up learning how to use weapons and stuff like that is just a scene that i've seen by itself Mm -hmm. and just that part is kind of a thinker so i like to think that the rest of the movie i don't think it sounds pretentious at all to say it's a thinker i mean heck stanley kubrick's all about it you know absolutely um and that's just how he is it's like the even the shot not the shine the shining yeah um is a thinker like so i don't know I, i'll i'll sit down and watch it again i'm sure i'm sure it's a good movie but i just was like i think another thing about 2001 Obelisks. is uh it's it's steeped in the aesthetic right mm-hmm. like, i can tell by looking at the pictures it, it's a it visual feels it almost feels like an art project more than a movie because they put so much design into the set and the music in the film that uh i think a like if it didn't have the music and it didn't have the set design that it that it did the movie wouldn't have worked at all it's a very slow paced movie yeah but i I I think the whole point it's almost like it's almost like an art gallery on in a film like what it feels like you can kind of see the pictures and like yeah it it and I, I enjoy like movies like that that are like aesthetically pleasing, like like even some like of blonde, Wes like blonde, uh, blonde. <laughs> Jake, um, he loves it when we talk about blonde. Uh, <laughs> you like don't blonde. know, like that's such a hard switch from two thousand one, the Space Odyssey. We're talking about the know. visual, the visual trick spectacle. Yeah, you're just talking about the visuals, and that's no. What... But like, here's the difference between between Space Odyssey. Like, Space Odyssey feels like you're walking through an art museum, looking at still lives that's okay. what it is and like you're walking blonde is more that's... like you're walking through an art museum after you've taken lsd yeah yes <laughs> that's that's a completely different that's that's what space it's still unusual like. though it, i feel like it is unusual but it feels like space odyssey is a movie made up of it sounds stupid it's a movie made up of pictures in other words still lives each scene is supposed to be taken almost as if it's an art piece mm-hmm. they're supposed to look at it and think about it and move on think all about <laughs> what they're talking about and think about the music that's playing and just kind of like, oh, okay, I get it. And then it moves on to the next scene. That's how the movie plays out. Well, knowing that information, yeah, knowing that information and, you know, hearing that might be easier to watch it going into it. I think when I tried to watch it, I had gotten my degree in film, but, you know, I wasn't as heavy into like movie watching as I am now. So I don't know. It's possible that uh, I could change my mind. I mean, well, I think it gets, I think it's, um, 
I think a lot of people get set up for greatness. Uh, they they get set up to be disappointed because they hear, oh, it's the greatest space odyssey of all time. It's the greatest science fiction. It's a masterpiece. And then they think about the amazing movies that we see today, like Interstellar or Star Wars yeah. or, you know, things like that. Yeah. And then they turn it on and it's essentially two and a half hour movies of matte paintings, essentially. Yeah. And they're like, what the is this people this also is so stupid people are also deceived when i if you see an ad astra i think people are expecting something a little bit more faster pace more engaging but ad astra was kind of a slower film uh yeah. in movie in space tommy lee jones the good old uh brad pitt i uh, live tyler among other actors but i enjoyed the the pacing of that particular space film so i just think if you if you just go on with the right mindset it's a much better experience the but for issue, people that are for like casual goers, it's going to be like, what WTF? What am I watching? Yeah. And they might, they'll, they'll be easily turned off, unfortunately, yeah. or fortunately, whatever you want to have. You, you, you want to watch a quote unquote space movie. It's not for you. If you're the kind of person who likes to go through a museum and like look at the paintings, it'll be a great movie for you. And you like good classical music. You'll yeah. love it, too, because the way a staple of Stanley Kubrick, it seems from the I think the two movies I've seen, Doctor Strange, Love and uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, is that he ends his movies with a kind of a mic drop of sorts uh, with a grand uh, visual with combining with a great orchestral score or song of the time lyrical and the i don't know how to pronounce it but the richard strauss's uh, sprock zarathustra uh, tune uh, with the timpani and the brass the grand brass and you see a massive baby on screen on screen appearing <laughs> uh in earth it is it's it's a well, crazy and then the way dr strangelove ends which is kind of a talking about the cold war and the, the the obsession of man when it comes to war and power and com competition with the soviets anyways and the dangers of nuclear war inevitable destruction essentially uh that way that movie ends is in destruction combined with uh, the ironic song called we'll meet again and which was a popular song uh, of during the world war ii era but when we're talking about bombs and the whole total world destruction we'll meet again is kind of a, a ironic tune to, to, to hear and as you're seeing a bunch of archival footage of bombs going off so i like kubrick's use of music so I'm going to say this thing I'm just, I've been trying to say. There's a theory I have, Jake. I call it the frozen theory. And I'm sure I've mentioned this on this podcast before, where people hype stuff up so much that when you go to watch it, even though it's good, it's not as good as they made it out to be. And the reason I call it the frozen theory is because that's what people did with Frozen. Literally, somebody in one of my classes said it was the best Disney movie ever made. And at that point, I had seen Tangled. And I, when I watched Frozen, I was like, Tangled was way better than this. So Truth. when people mention, you know, 2001, a space odyssey, oh, it's this great space movie. And like, like it's almost like they're going to be expecting Star Wars type stuff. And it's like, nah, yeah. nah. So that's why my friends make fun of me because they, they think I don't watch certain things because everybody else likes them. And I'm like, no, it's because everybody else likes them. And they hype it up so much that it makes me not want to watch it because I'm going to go in there and I'm going to be disappointed because they hyped it up. Like when the Tiger King documentary came out, mm -hmm. 
And I heard all this stuff about it. I heard all this stuff about it. And then my friend's like, I want to watch the whole thing tonight. And so I was like, all right. And then she's like, oh, wait, you don't like it because other people like it. And I was like, no, I've been hearing about this documentary for the past week and how good it is. And now I'm afraid it's I'm going to be disappointed. So when I watched it, she was like, oh, my God, that was so crazy. I was like, oh, it was OK. And of course, they made fun <laughs> of me for it. I was like, I just, you know, there was really good parts in it. But and he is insane. Um, but I don't know. I was just. That's, you know, he's that's, moving to Fort Smith when he gets out. If he gets out, when is he getting out? Do we know? I don't know. I don't know. But the, he's he's like made an official statement. He's moving to Fort Smith, Arkansas. Oh boy, he great. Gets out. So okay, new story. Up. Yeah, I know. All the cameras All right. will be there. So if y'all have anything else, I, there is one thing I want to end on. But if you guys want to talk about anything else real quick, do you have any other movies you want to mention or anything like that? I'll just say concluding thoughts. If we're going to do that, that's fine. Okay. About the sixties. Yeah, yeah, I think the sixties is the an era of movie making that I want to get more exposure to and yeah. acclimated to and like watch the movies that you recommended or mm-hmm. the ones that Jake recommended, that list, that big old list. Yeah. But I mean, again, I'm a big music guy, as you know, and I love still of this kind of somewhat golden age of, of movie making as we're um, evolving with, with with society and then the cultural shifts. And that also is a, quite appealing to me. Um, and as I mentioned, obviously the apartments, probably one of my favorite movies now. I don't, I, learned about that movie because I was watching one of my favorite shows, Mad Men. And in only one of the scenes, uh, they mentioned, Hey, where, where we, which movie are we going to see? Or which movie is everyone seeing these days? And I said, apartment. And it's interesting. And I'm sure you guys do it as well. When you watch movies or watch TV series and they mention certain media or, or songs, it makes you want to go look like Google, uh, look on the internet uh, and learn more about what they just mentioned. Even if oh, it's yeah. even if it's not so important to what's being talked about in the particular movie or show, but say, like, hey, yeah, that, that seems cool. So, thanks to Mad Men, um, which also takes place uh, in the '60s uh, primarily, and I got to watch uh, a fantastic show. Yeah, so. um, it's funny because I've I've there's I don't have any recent recollection of me doing this, but on The Office again. Um, well, I say again because we were talking about before we started recording for people who are listening. Um, do I, they they play Desert Island and talk about their five favorite movies or whatever? And Dwight's favorite movie was The Crow, and so because of it, because the his favorite movie is the The Crow, that my friends actually watched it because that was Dwight's favorite movie. And I just thought that was kind of funny that you mentioned like people who watch things and they hear about things while watching things. And they're like, Oh, I want to find it out. Especially and, books that I see. It doesn't even need to me need to be uh, uttered like vocally, but seeing someone read a particular book that might have some meaning uh, for well, the particular character that's reading it. Yeah. You know, what's you know, interesting is a lot of times when they put that stuff in, when they, when they name drop or add things in, I mean, that's in, a lot of times that is intentional. That's something that the writers wanted to put in True. because it either might contain a motif of the story they're in or it could be inspired by it or it could just be something they're like, hey, this is a good Thank you know piece of artwork that I want people to to do exactly what you did, Zach. Even yeah. if it is even if it is like product placement, it can be effective it works in, sometimes. In, the, in the story. Yeah. I'm actually reading a book in which a movie was based off of called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Um, and I watched, we watched the movie and the movies. Sounds like a dark film. It was, it's weird. It's very weird, hard to follow sometimes. And I was like, I got to read the book. 
And so I, I started reading the book. It's been a minute since I've continued reading it. I need to get back into it, but I started reading it, read, I read a good third of it. And so far it's literally just like, it's in the point of view of the main female of the, of the, of the movie. And she goes to meet his parents and things happen. And kind of reminds me of mother where like things happen out of nowhere kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It's very, very weird. Very, very um, interesting. So, you like weird, weirder, the yeah, better. the weirder, the better. And so I was like, I need to read this book. And so basically and you don't like cat that you know, that's that weird. A, for that's a weird movie. Weird. That's I'm objectively candy. a weird movie. Nah, I mean, yes, you're right. It is weird, but it's weird in a different way that that's I'm it. interested in. Like cats it's, it's weird because came out of this huge musical. That's super popular on Broadway for years comes out as a movie and instantly bombs right that's what makes it weird and like to me that's not the weird that i'm interested in now i'll watch it if someone like jake makes you watch it um and says hey we're gonna watch cats as one of the episodes i'll watch it but that's literally the only time i would watch it unless a girl was like oh my god i want to watch cats and if that if the girl wants to watch cats you'd watch the pussy to get some (laughs) gross but yeah, <laughs> uh, the point is, what point I was trying to make was if a girl wants wants to watch cats, then she's probably not a girl I want to be with. Is what I was going to say. <laughs> so I don't know. You heard it here, folks. Yeah. Don't watch cats if you if you're into me. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, anyway, so, Jake, any final thoughts? No, I think you guys you guys summed it up pretty nicely. I think yeah. there's a lot of change. Yeah, there a lot there of change in the 60s, <laughs> a lot of change in the 60s in the movies. And they started being a lot more experimental. And political, and uh, lots of great stuff come out of that decade. So. I tell you, so I found this article, and I'm it, I'm going to try to blow through it because we we have gone over a little bit. This has been an interesting conversation, um, and it's from Collider. dot uh, com. Twelve movies from the nineteen sixties. Everyone should see at least once. Can you guess what might be on there? 2001 A Space Odyssey. Sound of Music. Space Odyssey. Okay. Uh, Doctor Strange Love. Okay. Um, I'm going to go through all of them. So. Doctor Lawrence, no. of, Lawrence of Arabia. Psycho. Okay. okay. All right. So here's number one is Psycho. 1960. Alfred Hitchcock. If you haven't seen it, Collider suggests you watch it. <laughs> the Sound of Music is number two. Ooh. Oh man, we even talk yeah. about that. Yeah, we didn't talk about that, but I, I've, you know, be honest with you, the sound of music I've seen a, a couple times in music class as a kid. I've seen it too many times, and I'm just like, I've seen it a ton. Of course, when I was a kid, I was like, this is dumb, but I did see the play, and the play was really good. That's like, cool. I, I've, I that's really awesome. enjoyed the play, and that was when I was working at Channel Seven, and they gave out free tickets, and so I was like, hey, good idea for a date night because I was seeing a girl at the time, and so. Um, I got tickets and we went and it was really good. Um, 2001, a space odyssey is number three. Lawrence of Arabia is number four, which I have not seen. Can you guess what number five is? The apartment. No, the apartment's not on here. Let me doctor. No strange love. Land of the apes to kill a mockingbird. Oh yeah. Dang. Yeah. It's another one. We didn't really, that's one. That's one I've purposely, uh, purposely not watched because High in the Sky, Dream of Love Dreams. If I ever get a chance to make that movie, because I want to make that movie, uh, I don't want to be influenced by anything. Yeah, cool. um, all right. The next one is, anybody want to guess? Dr. No. <laughs> James okay. Bond. The first James Bond film. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah. Clint Eastwood. 
Uh, okay, the next one. Lisa and David. No, Birds. that's not on here. <laughs> uh, the Graduate. Oh, yep. With uh, Dennis Hoffman. The next one is a movie called Peeping Tom, which I've never heard of. Um, but it's a disturbing psychological thriller so lurid. It ruined one of Britain's most esteemed auteurs. Interesting. Peeping mm-hmm. Tom is an uncomfortable look at voyeurism that's intrinsic to cinema. Ooh, that I sounds interesting. Actually, it does sound really weird. Interesting. Yeah, I need. It's if a little indirectly, this is one of the best movies about making movies from a master whose career was ended unjustly and far too early. So he got canceled because of this movie, essentially. Wow, cancel culture. Sixties. I'm going to read the rest of this real quick. This is the first ever movie to put the audience in a killer's POV, thus making it arguably the first slasher film. The effect cool. was too much for audience and critics at the time. Wow. Yeah, I need to I need to actually suggest this to my friend. He loves slasher films. What's it rated? Oh, Mary Poppins was from the 60s. <laughs> uh, what's it rated? I don't know. You'd have to look it up. It doesn't say what it's rated on on this list. Did they say it's too, it was too much for society? Did they it might have been rated PG yeah. and it's still too much for society. Um, okay. Next one is Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. This is one need to watch that one. Yeah, this is one that's awesome. like that's like been on people have suggested and suggested and suggested and I just still haven't watched it. That iconic scene, you've probably seen it in multiple other forms of media where the guys latch to a bomb and yelping and it's going down into some Russian field. Okay. It's, it's one of those iconic scenes you've probably seen somewhere. Um, okay, we got Three more. You want to guess what the next one is? Try to. Uh, West Side Story. It is Mary Poppins. Bonnie and Clyde. Uh-huh. Now remember, this is just from bon- from Collider.com, so it's nothing like it's not a like definitive list or anything. But Bonnie and Clyde is number ten. Uh, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. Okay, so uh, Zach, you've said this several times. Doctor No. No, it's actually Very Goldfinger. Oh <laughs> yeah, Goldfinger's number eleven. Dang. So which Goldfinger must? What year was that? Nineteen sixty-four. Oh, so the, it was the the second Bond film. Wow. Yeah, interesting. Nineteen sixty-three's follow-up from from Russia with Love. Hey. Oh wait, 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 wait. Doctor No is nineteen sixty-two. Was there no, one, a movie in nineteen sixty-three? James Bond film. Carefully, hang on. Uh, crafted Doctor No was an international hit. And nineteen sixty-three's follow-up from Russia with Love was even better. It's now, hmm. it is now. That's what I, sorry. I just saw, it was, I saw 1963's follow-up. I thought that it meant it came after from Russia with Love, but it didn't. Christopher Lee, a young Christopher Lee plays uh, the villain in that movie. I'm assuming his name is Goldfinger. Not to be, not to be confused with Goldmember. Okay. Doctor No. Y'all know who Goldmember is, don't you? No. Yeah, okay. Austin Powers. Yeah, it's Austin Powers. I haven't seen his, Austin Powers. His member is gold. His wiener's gold. Um, <laughs> It happened in an unfortunate schmelting accident. Schmelting. Okay, the last one. Do you want to guess? Hmm. West Side Story. We've Let's... talked about this movie on this on this episode. Yeah, this current episode. Let's think here. Yep. Try to get it correct. Uh, uh, the Great Escape. No. That no. psycho film that you're talking about. The, no. with the breakfast one that you watched. No, we talked about it in this in this episode. Did, what did you say? Breakfast at Tiffany's. Breakfast. Did we, at did we did we brush on it? Did we elaborate? No, we elaborated on it. The apartment. No. Oh. Can we tell you? Yeah. Yes. Night of the Living Dead. 
Hey. I was gonna. I was thinking about saying that, but uh, that, you should just said it, awesome. Zach. What's gonna happen if you're wrong? Nothing. You're in Texas. <laughs> yeah, freedoms are. Uh, All right. Anyone said that combination of words before? <laughs> well, you're welcome. That's why I'm a writer, and you're over there. <laughs> Um, okay, cool. Well, this is a good conversation, guys. I like these movies by the decades because it starts off kind of slow and then we're like, More let's talk about this. And then blah, 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 blah. so I like yeah. talking about the movies that we watched and enjoyed as opposed to trying to talk about the history. Although we can still talk about history, but you notice we didn't really talk about history in this one. We just talked about well, we we touched about we touched on aspects of history and the right. cultural yeah. changes. Yeah, we touched on them. We didn't try to elaborate on them. Uh, we could have. I mean, I'm sure we could have, but it was more fun just talking about the movies that we we enjoyed from the 60s. So we could think about that going forward, maybe. Oh wait, what is this? We got another another list after the after the other one, the one I just told you about. Ten MCU characters who made the best use of an Infinity Stone. Ooh, interesting. Nah, skip. I know everyone's but, being canceled among the, the the MCU villains these days. It seems for uh, oh, alleged criminal activity. This has yeah, nothing to do with the 1960s. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Okay, well, uh, we'll move on. All right, well, uh, that'll conclude our discussion on the 1960s. We appreciate you listening to our long-winded discussion of the 1960s. We probably went over a little bit, but that's okay. That's what editing's for, right? Um, so. If you enjoyed it or if you want to leave us a comment, review, or give us an idea for an episode to watch, this is actually our last episode of season two. Um, so the next episode after this will be season three, episode one. So that's that's good news. Um, hit us up on uh, anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spot, uh, Spotify, YouTube, uh, or you can hit us up on any social media. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, and that will um, be it for us tonight. So say bye, guys. Don't say bye like I say bye, though, because that's later. Later. All right. Have a fantastic day. Bye.